I've been swimming in the maze, trapped inside it now for days, living in a state of haze, lost the way, lit the fuse, is it me, what's the truth, no religion, no excuse, what's the use, damn, I think I need therapy, this music and sleep won't cut a callous to weed without it, I think I need therapy, the shoes on my feet, they move me out on the street, I lose Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our seventh episode of The Counselling Corner. Um, Thank you for everyone who listened to our last show where we took a dive into the trends of mental health and and, um, the various approaches that that have developed um, over history. Um, So a, a lot of you may have seen on our Facebook page that we have a very special guest today and Sally... Uh, my co-host will be um, introducing him. Um, if anybody had any questions or things that they would like to talk about, um, I'm always open. We're always open here to um, feedback and questions. So if you do want to message in with any questions, um, the number is 0493-213-831. Once more, 0493-213-831. Thank you. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Counselling Corner. I am so excited to introduce our guest for today. He is the CEO of the Australian Counselling Association and has been for over 20 years. For those of you who don't know, the ACA is Australia's largest single registration body for counsellors and psychotherapists with over 11,000 members. So Philip, as the CEO, I've been told is a great leader who is keen to make a difference in the field of mental health and counselling in Australia and around the world. He helps to advocate for the profession of counselling and psychotherapy through representing members to government, manages training standards, accreditation, assistance with employment and practice. He also helps to oversee and enforce ethical practice and assistance for anyone seeking access to an ethical service provider. So thanks for being here today, Philip. We're so lucky and excited to have you. Thank you, Sally and Amanda. It's great to be here. So Philip has kindly flown down from sunny Queensland, or he came from Perth, actually, and we've brought him to the miserable and wet Melbourne today. So we're very excited to have him on board. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've got a question. My first question is all about your journey into counselling. So... Are you able to tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming the CEO of ACA and what your what your journey was into what you're doing today? Yes, look, that'd be a pleasure. Um, it was rather convoluted, um, so it's not a short story. Um, mm-hmm. But I spent 15 years in the Australian military um, prior to uh, being medically discharged um, after um, suffering a, a, an incident uh, whilst in, in hospital. And um, when I was discharged, I... Um, you know, I, I really was lost because it was unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hadn't expected to be discharged, and uh, this was back in the, the mid-90s, and um, basically in those days, you just one day, uh, one day you're in a uniform, next day you wake up and you weren't. There was uh, yeah. no transition, uh, no support. Mm. And um, I had been doing some uh, work whilst I was in the Army, uh, helping some... Uh, some uh, Families who had lost their partners. And uh, so I wanted to um, help. Mm-hmm. 
Excuse me, I still get a little bit emotional when I, I talk, okay. about, uh, talk about that. Um, and uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I hunted around as part of my uh, rehabilitation package, what to do. Mm-hmm. And they offered me counselling. Uh, so, uh, so that's what I did. I did a, uh, uh, a diploma in counselling. Um, mm-hmm. And when I finished it, I realised that um, I really... I really wanted to help, uh, particularly veterans and their families. Yeah. And uh, so I got a position with the RSL. And uh, the um, oh, it was it was a it was a bad time for the for the military. Yeah. And uh, we were seeing a lot of yeah. a lot of veterans in in trouble, and there was a lot of suicides. Mm-hmm. Wow. And. Um, I just thought there's got to be a better way, yeah. um, and the RSL was uh, in itself was lost from my, my perspective, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I left. I left that position, and um, I went into private practice, and I actually did very well in private practice. And I, I moved away from the veterans, and, and that, that sort of really helped me a little bit to get a bit more um, perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time. It was. It really became apparent how isolating it was. Uh, working in mental health, there was there was no support. Um, you just sort of you're in there and and you're trying to help people as best you can, but there was no yeah. peak, peak bodies. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. There was um, no, and we didn't know seeing such thing as supervision. Right. Mm. And so you were you were very lonely, um, and you're trying to help all these people. Mm. And you know, the, the only person you could talk to for me was my my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a lot of pressure to yeah. put on a partner. Yeah, taking all that stuff home mm. uh, with no one else to talk to. Mm. So I spoke to some people um, actually where I did my diploma, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, had a lot of their graduates saying they were experiencing the same thing. But there was also there was no employment. Uh, if you didn't go to private practice, there was really there was no there was no no options as to what you could do, yep. and that concerned me too because I thought that there is a, a really there is a, a need for what it is that we do, mm. and um, something needed to be done. Mm. And yep. so my my father always said to me, he said, uh, you know, don't whinge, either shut up or do it, do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sort of sort of I was brought up with that, and so I thought, well, okay, why don't we form an association uh, or something like that. And so I spoke to a lot of graduates and we formed, and it actually it was called the uh, the Counselling Association of Australia, actually, in those days. Uh, so we formed this association and um, we started uh, getting other councillors to join us and we started looking at some standards and that. And it was it was a really hard grind because we had no support, no resources or anything else. Um, and then it really dawned on me that, you know, um, a diploma wasn't sufficient. I, I thought, this, I, I'm... I'm seeing people and there's people coming to me with some really deep issues mm, yeah. and I'm floundering and I'm, I'm not pretending that I know what I don't know Yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm sort of trying to find places to refer them. And again, in those days, we didn't have the psychologists with yeah. the, the GPs, with yeah, Medicare no. and there was none of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you really didn't know where to send people. Yeah, right. Um, and, and sort of you, you wanted, are they better off seeing me or, or whatever? But anyway, I, uh, I decided to go and do a degree. And uh, mm-hmm. again, in those days, um, it was interesting because I was a mature age student. Right. I didn't, I, I'd finished uh, school. Actually, I'm glad in Victoria because everybody here knows what I'm saying when I say I went to Form 3. Yeah. yeah. Say that in Brisbane. I'm like, well, look at you. What's, what's Form 3? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I went up to Form 3 and I left school at 15. Yeah. So, uh, right. And um, so fortunately, um, mature age 
uh, had just become part of the the, uh, the higher education system. So I went to university to New England, and uh, and again, what was different? It was great in those days. You could, if you paid up front, um, you could get a twenty five percent discount. So you didn't get a hex debt. Yeah. Um, and because I was working, I thought I'd do that, and you could claim it back on your tax. Yeah. Uh, so that twenty five percent discount was was far more than that. It was quite quite significant. So it wasn't that expensive. Um, so I went to New England and, and did my degree there. When I was there, um, a lot of the lecturers and that were also we, we were all in the in the same thought. Counselling is really growing, and there's a really need for it. Yeah. And it is different to psychology. It yeah. is much yeah. different. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so. Again, some, some, yeah, something we need to be. We need to formalise, professionalise. Yeah. We have to do something. Yeah. And the association that, that I'd helped found um, wasn't growing. It, it just it was too difficult trying to um, without uh, some sort of backing. And uh, and so there was a lot of talk yeah. about about those. And anyway, there was um, uh, another association that was actually founded around about that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I got involved in it. And again, I was disillusioned. I, I didn't feel. I didn't feel it represented what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not going to be critical about another peak body. Um, it just didn't meet my needs. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and then I came across the Australian Counselling Association and, yeah. I, and I met the, the founder. And um, the, uh, the difference was that um, the founder um, of the Australian Counselling Association was prepared to put money into it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, look, it, it was uh, obviously it was his his interest was he actually owned a training training provider, okay. um, and so it was it was uh, an investment for him. Yeah. Um, but you know, I hadn't found anybody else willing to do that, and uh, and it was a, a big investment because he had to pay for the rent, he had to pay my wages, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and everything else. And and I don't think he expected uh, ACA to grow into what it is <laughs> yeah, today. That's huge. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's so I went so from. Well private practice in working with ACA and realised, look, this is a full-time job. Yeah. No one can do this part-time. This is, yeah. you know, if you want to, te- if you want to be serious, mm-hmm. it, it has to be approached seriously. And, yeah. and after having uh, talks with the, the management, they, they invested more money yeah. into the association. So, you know, they were investing for a good five to six years mm-hmm. um, and before ACA broke even to the point that it could start being self-sufficient. Right. Yeah. So it was quite an investment that they put into it. Mm-hmm. And um, so during that time, we had to look at structural issues and mm-hmm. things like that. So around about 2010, mm-hmm. ACA became the association it is now, yeah, well. which it was incorporated. Um, the members voted. We had a constitution, mm-hmm. and, and we're going through another restructure at the current mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was during that time, and I, I became the, the CEO, and yep. we started employing more workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and suddenly there was a, a it was an explosion of training providers. Mm-hmm. Um, wanting to uh, deliver training and counselling, and that, and that was just great. And so we went from an industry where when I graduated in 1994, when I graduated, there was no jobs. Mm. Um, the only reason I got a job is because I was a veteran. Mm. Um, I there was no associations, yeah. there was no support. Mm. Um, no one knew what a council was. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we look at it now where we're at. So now where we're at, we've got 80% of Australian universities now deliver undergraduate and graduate programs. Yeah, absolutely. Last month alone, we advertised over 200 jobs just at ACA. Mm-hmm. So that that's uh, not including you know, uh, all the other organisations. Mm-hmm. So the employment rates and employment growth for one of the healthiest professions in the country, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's according yeah, to ABS true. statistics. Yeah. Um, that's not, not our statistics. Yeah. Um, we're also one of the most resilient professions. We actually scored three points higher, again, on the ABS statistics mm-hmm. against resiliency professions, three points higher than the psychologists. Wow. Yeah. So we're even a more resilient yeah. sort of a profession. Yeah. So, 
our growth, um, the education, growth, and employment sectors, it just bloomed, just blossomed. Good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think which is fortunate because you know when COVID happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, uh, and I think a large part of that is the fact that ACA exists, that there is the, the public and the consumer mm-hmm. yep. can be confident that mm-hmm. what they're getting yep. when they use a registered counsellor is somebody who's mm-hmm. qualified, who's yep. accountable. Mm-hmm. And we look after our counsellors now. Yeah. Yeah. now. We have professional supervision, we mm-hmm. have professional development, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, they're all appropriately qualified. So, mm-hmm. and so that, was, that was my journey. So it was a, yeah, it was a wow. bit of a... What an inspiring uh, journey that you've been mm. Such a great story. Emotional. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, still, yeah, I still, you know, when I yeah. go back to my veteran days, it was sort of, <laughs> still gets a bit touchy. Yeah, yeah, wow. Understandable, for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, what, what a journey, for sure. Um, in terms of kind of for yourself, what, what is it like for you? What, what does it mean for you to sort of be a therapist, you know, in the room with someone? It's a privilege. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's an absolute privilege um, mm-hmm. for for people to trust in you to open up, and a lot of time they're telling you things that you know, they can't find anybody else to tell. They just um, either people are not prepared to listen, or there's trust issues, or whatever. So it's an extremely privileged position. And I think that puts us in a, a very important situation. We have very vulnerable people in front of us, mm-hmm. yeah. and we have to honour that, yeah. uh, honour that vulnerability, and uh, mm-hmm. and not abuse it. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's that's why you know you do need significant training to understand that. That yeah. that um, a, a colleague of mine, uh, she says that uh, you know we're there to empower people, not to treat people. And I right. think that's that's. Yeah. That, that's that's probably as close to yeah. an answer you get when when you're there with somebody that yeah. I'm not there to treat anybody. Yeah. No. I'm yeah. simply there to empower them, to be there for them, to help them through the issues, to mm. yeah. share as much as the journey. I can't walk in their shoes, yeah, that's um, and, and I can't pretend to understand. Um, I may have challenges that I've had in my life that may be similar, mm. um, but that doesn't mean I can understand. No, um, you, know, you you you, uh, you have to accept that the person in front of you is unique. Mm-hmm. Their, their experiences are unique. Yeah. How they experience it is, is unique, uh, and it's all unique to them and who they are. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Um, so we usually like to sort of get a gauge in, you know, maybe some of your, your approaches where you sort of lean. Um, so we're gonna, I have a few questions in terms of that, but before we get into that, I just um, we do have some really great sponsors here. So um, we'll, we'll give one of them a shout out at the moment. Don't worry about a thing. Because Atticus Health will make you feel all right. Don't worry about a thing. Because Atticus Health will make you feel all right. If you got a tummy ache, or you don't feel right, or if you have a nasty rash, keeping you up at night. Don't worry, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry. Because Atticus Health will make you feel all right. Thanks for that. Um, so just before we get into the next few questions, we do have a text. So thank you for long-time listener, few-time texter. Would you like to read that out, Sally? Okay, so this is from Eleanor. 
Hi, Philip. It was fantastic to hear your story today. I can hear the passion you hold for the counselling space. How incredible to see how the counselling space has grown over time, Eleanor. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, so in terms of kind of, you know, where, where you lean and in terms of some approaches, do you have sort of a favourite theory, a theorist, um, you know, a modality? That, or modality? <laughs> I'm sure you'll be a post-CBT, right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess that. I, uh, yeah, I, look, it's, it's um, as I've, as I've, I've um, moved through my career, um, you know, I've come across individuals and, and theorists and, and models and go, oh wow yeah finally I found something and you know and I move through them and um, yeah. and I move and I find something else and, and I, you know I, and I, I might be a little bit controversial but I'll be totally honest um, you know, when I look at all the modern stuff that's out here yeah um, I look at it and and when you do a bit of a you don't even have to do a deep dive into it you do a dive into it yeah and you know some of it goes goes back to Rogerian <coughs> always does it <coughs> yeah yep, it's a uh, well, they all have new names, but really yeah. they're just a reinvention yeah. Um, yeah. and a tweaking, which is fine because, you know, all, all things need tweaking as things move and, and, and we progress through different generations and that. So, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing should stay the same. Um, but, but when you do scratch the surface and you have a look at it, you can see this is what it's based on. Yeah, it absolutely. does go back to, to all the original model modalities that came out in the 90s, uh, the uh, right about the 60s and that. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Viktor Frankl. I think um, his story is, um, I, I don't think it's even worse for it, the, 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 his story moving through the, uh, the mm-hmm. concentration camps uh, yeah. in Germany and, mm-hmm. and his, um, yeah, his ability to not allow them, even when they had a gun, in, gun yeah. to his head, his ability to not allow them to control him or mm-hmm. to be in charge, mm-hmm. even though they had the ultimate control of pulling yeah. the trigger. Yeah. Um, and, and he even you know, moved through that and said, "That's not control. That that was their control, but mm. it didn't control his last thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it didn't control what he was thinking. Mm. It it didn't stop him believing in being Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't stop him being yeah. Jewish, yeah. even though they could take his life. And and I yeah. just thought that's that's so powerful. Mm. And when I read a lot of his work, um, it really touched home. But mm. I've, I've pretty much become eclectic as I have. Yeah. The older I get, the more box. eclectic I get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick and choose, yeah, yeah. Because, because it goes back to what I said before. Each client is individual; is, is yeah. unique. Yeah, absolutely. And, There's no one yeah. size fits all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I actually adore Victor Frankl. I've read his book many times, mm. and so inspiring. What he, what he went through and things like that. And I can definitely, you know, um, not I can't relate to what, mm. <laughs> what he went through, but um, yeah, definitely very inspiring. Um, we, you know, we, we've done a, you know in kind of forming this this um, radio show for, for you for our guest uh, we you know we did a deep dive in, into you as well and we had a look at um, some, some of your work and, and things like that so we noticed that that you've completed a certificate in nutrition and diet mm-hmm. um, um, through sort of the, the back training um, how do you think having sort of a good nutrition can color, correlate to better mental health um Look, look, I think it's essential. I, I yeah, I'm a, I'm a true believer. I, I don't even know why we have a a minister for mental health and a minister for health, and and why why the government even breaks the two up. That's right. You, yeah, you can't they, separate no. them. Yeah. Um, I, I've had clients who who came in and, and and have seen me, and they've started off with a physical um, yeah. condition that has manifested mm. into a mental, and and vice versa. Yeah, you yeah. cannot separate the two. No. 
They um, always separate like the social model and the medical model. And you need it's, both. It's of ridiculous. Them. I don't understand it yeah. either. Yeah. Well, you, you, human beings come in one package. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't get two packages sitting mm-hmm. in front of you. You get one. Yeah. Um, and it's made up of numerous things, but yeah. it's it's a whole package, and so the whole package has to be looked at and, and yeah. worked with. And look, there is absolute correlations between poor nutrition and things like such as depression, yeah. poor sleeping. Obviously, mm-hmm. there are other contributing factors but mm-hmm. but there is an absolute correlation between the two and and the better we look after our body and the better condition we're into then if we do suddenly become depressed or or there's an onset of some sort of um, mental health illness we are far better prepared to deal with it That's right. okay? mm-hmm. yeah. um and um you know so i think it's essential and so when i was when i was in private practice i i it dawned on me very quickly um, and because I had a military background, 15 years in the army, you know, one, one good thing I can say from that was I was very fit and very, very well fit. fed. And it was when I got out the army and I stopped um, and because of the condition I'd got um, whilst I was in the army, I, I yeah. couldn't continue doing a lot of the uh, physical work yeah. I'd been doing. But yeah. I noticed it very quickly how as soon as my, um, my, my fitness levels dropped mm. and as soon as my um, eating and nutrition levels mm. dropped, um, I myself became more vulnerable yeah um and as soon as i I started working back on that i built uh that inner strength to Mm -hmm. to start also working on my own challenges Mm -hmm. um that i was facing at the time Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think uh and that's part of the therapist journey is is working through your own challenges as well but uh yeah absolutely so that's why i did the the uh the 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 qualification in nutrition because i thought i think this is really important Mm -hmm. but you know what i'm not going to pretend to be an expert um so i need to go off and get some training and get some theory and some knowledge um if i'm going to help people and and say as part of the session let's have a look at what what you you know let's have a look at your sleep let's have a look at what you're eating Mm -hmm. your exercise levels and i'm not here to tell you to go and join a gym or anything else it's not my job um but you know what if you if you just go for a 20 minute walk Mm. yeah yeah that's doable That, that, that that can help yeah 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 great um, yeah, so also kind of um, diving into uh, a bit more of what you've done, what you've studied and things like that. Um, I know noticed you've done a bit on sort of life coaching and, and yeah. things like that. Maybe for, for the audience who are kind of considering, um, you know, what kind of support they may need if they're going through something. Um, what is the difference between life coaching and counselling? Yeah, I've always wanted to know this question, actually. Uh, well, you know, the reason I did it was because I was very sceptical. I, I, I Particularly back in the early 2000s, a lot of people were opening up as coaches and I was thinking, geez, yeah. um, what do these people do if they're coaching somebody and they're calling it life coaching, not right. not career coaching, whatever. Yeah. What do they do what when someone, someone an expert in life, turns though? around with a, a relationship issue or whatever? Yeah. They're, not, they're not qualified. And so I did a course just to, you know, I wasn't going to be critical or, or, yeah. or whatever until I did did a course myself and, yeah. and, and, and experienced it. And they touched a little bit on it, but I certainly finished the course thinking, hmm, um, I don't really think these people should be diving into it. And if mm-hmm. I was going to open up um, a life coaching business, I would have, you know, I'd be looking at it from a multidisciplinary perspective. Yeah, yeah. I would have some counsellors on, on board and, 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 and other people that I could help bring in when, when these things happen. Yeah. So uh, so that was my primary motive from doing it. Again, you know, <laughs> In life, it is so easy to be critical, and yeah. everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, as a professional, I have a responsibility to to the public, yeah. um, and 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 to the government and everybody else that, yeah. that that I work with. If I'm going to be critical about something, I, I need to have knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've done a lot of courses, and that's one of the reasons I do so many mm-hmm. courses is because I think I need to really get to know what am I if I'm if I'm going to have a uh, if I'm going to be critical of this. Mm-hmm. 
is it justified? Yep. Mm. Maybe I'm not as knowledgeable as what I think. And so mm. let's go and do some training and find yeah. out. And, and I, I've done training and found out, you know what, I was wrong. Um, I was absolutely wrong mm-hmm. um, and done training and, and, and realised, yeah, I think I, I might have been on the button on that one. Yeah, oh, I see. Hmm. Great. Um, okay. My turn. So you did touch on this before, but um, counselling, I guess, is an area that is constantly changing and mm. evolving. The counselling profession developed in many ways from responses and changes in society. Mm. For example, you were saying before in the early 20th century when counselling was first emerging humanistic reform with an increased emphasis on the value of human beings was also also emerging so human qualities such as choice creativity and ultimately the value of all people became the focus of human change and intervention and then we jump to the 1960s which with the institutionalization was enacted which allowed for individuals who would formerly have been institutionalized to live in the community and receive mental health support and services so you're saying a little bit about it before but just to, in more detail, are you able from your experience uh, tell us how counselling has changed in the last 20 years and what did it look like when you first started and how different is it to what it is now? More like as a client probably. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I think, look, people are still getting their head around what is counselling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, we talk about 20 years. 20 years ago, it wasn't even uh, what is counselling. Um um, I think everybody 20 years ago thought counselling was Lifeline. Yeah. Okay. Somebody did a weekend course um, and worked for Lifeline or, or, or something along those lines. Um, and, uh, you know, there wasn't any professionalisation of the uh, the profession. There was very, very few. Uh, I know when I, when I did my diploma, the reason I did diploma because there were no degrees. Actually, um, in those days, if you wanted to do a master's in counselling, you had to be a social worker or a psychologist. Oh, really? Otherwise, oh, you, yeah, okay. you couldn't get into uni. Um and uh, so I was one of the first cohorts uh, that, that the University of New England brought in that, that actually mm-hmm. accepted diploma because mm-hmm. there was no undergraduate degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so they accepted diplomas mm-hmm. for, for you to go in and do the training. So uh, we're part of the first cohorts. Um, and uh, that was the only Bachelor of Counselling that was available. Then there were some uh, postgraduates, as I said, but they were only open to social workers and, and um and psychologists. So that was pretty much what people thought a counsellor was, was yeah, a social worker yeah. or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and from, from my perspective, that wasn't the case. I think yeah. social work and psychology are two very, very different things. Um, you know, I, I, have, uh, I have two great brothers, two younger great brothers who are very qualified, both um, with their PhDs, one in social work, one in psychology. Oh. And, and uh, you know, they both agree. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, all three of us, we all do things differently yeah. and have our own yep. independent uh, profession. But back in those days, um, counselling was owned by everybody. Yeah. Um, so you had wow. lifeline yeah. people uh, who worked on, on the phone. They called them now uh, support or crisis workers because they realised they're not phone counsellors. Mm. Um, but uh, then it was somebody who did a two-week course or it could be somebody who was a psychologist or a, um, a social worker. Mm. So. Um, I think what we've done in the last 20 years is we've very much defined mm-hmm. what what defines a counsellor as opposed um, to those. And, and uh, you know, the success can be seen in the fact we have 15 private health funds, Medicare, Bupa, yeah. um, they all um, now accept counselling by counsellors, by registered counsellors. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a whole bunch of employee assistance programs. Yeah. Uh, it's 12 of those, the big, all the big ones yeah. um, now accept it and, you know, the, we have uh, here in Victoria, um, the, the Work Harbour Victoria, yeah. um, 
they accept counsellors as opposed to psychologists and social yeah. work to, to work with uh, people who are recovering from mm. accidents and mm. those sorts of things. And, and so, now the NDIS as well. Which oh, is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's getting bigger too. Yeah, that's huge. Um, so, so there is now uh, a more of an understanding. There's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of people still don't quite understand the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and having said that, the... There is a there is a significant overlap, um, a significant proportion of um, psychologists um, are lecturers in the counselling programs. Yeah. Um, and so there is there is a significant overlap in what we get taught, um, particularly in the modalities we get taught. Focus psychological therapies, yeah. which I wouldn't say is owned by the psychologist, but primarily has been their patch. And all counsellors are now taught in that. It's just how we deliver it is is is, is probably what makes the difference. We deliver very differently. Mm-hmm. Okay, this leads us to our next question for you. Um, what type of clients have you worked with, and have the types of clients changed in the last twenty years? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, obviously, in my my early days, I did a lot of work with the uh, defence uh, yeah. and veterans. And, uh, and families. Um, but um, when I was um, uh, in, in private practice, I actually uh, started a, a support group for um, postnatal depression, as it was called in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I ended up doing was that morphed into actually working with dads, particularly dads with the first children, because there was, um, when, when I had my children, you know, I, I, I was there with my, my partner through the the whole process, and I got really frustrated because this is all about the woman, and I, and, and you got to be careful when you say that because pregnancy is all about the woman, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and having the baby. Yeah. Um, but I thought, yeah, it does take two, and and, and yeah. you come in a partnership, and yet the man is left to one side, but you have to be there to support your partner through it. But you really got you got no idea what's going on, yeah, because everything is yeah. is aimed towards a woman, yeah. And 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 I even found myself when I had my first child, I really didn't know. I didn't know life was going to change. Yeah. Um, you know, I, no, of course not. <laughs> I mean, no one told me that, that when you come home from work, you can't just put your feet up um, and, you know, and, and do your normal things because mum's been at home with the baby all day and she wants a rest, she wants some respite yeah. and suddenly yeah. you've got this baby that you really don't know much about yeah. um, and you can't feed it um, and, you know, and so it's just and, – and so uh, what that support group did, it morphed out into – for primarily fathers fathers of the first child and so many of the mothers used to send the dad and it was funny because you used to used to see the cars used to pull up and, and the, the mums were almost pushing dad out the car saying you're going whether you like it or not uh, you're going to go and listen and once the, yeah once the dads have been there they thought it was great yeah. and to this day um, and, and that, that, that support group we finished that up about 10 years ago um, yeah. I'm still getting referrals yeah. um, even though Why we're not doing it Why did you finish it. that up? That's um, a great idea. One of the problems that we had was a lot of the time they were bringing the children with them. Okay. Which wasn't a problem. We had a, I had a, a whole cohort of volunteer counsellors who used to come and look after the kids and we, we'd rotate through. You know, one, one day you'd be looking after or doing a presentation to, to, to the mums and dads and the, the next time you'd be looking after the kids. But then all the laws changed and yeah. suddenly you had to have all these legislative things came in to look after the kids and... Primarily, we were going to have to register as a, as a childhood centre, yeah, um, which was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, we were running as a support group, and we didn't charge anybody. We were, every, everything was done pro bono. Yeah, wow. Um, and so there was no money, and so we couldn't afford to meet the legislative changes. So 
that was a problem, and this is a problem with legislative changes. You know, the, the, the consultation is always so limited that there are groups like ours that they get left out. Yeah. And yeah. and the, the, the community suffers because those sort of support groups are needed. But you can't expect a support group to be supplying all these safety and, and, and I understand why it's yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so we actually closed it down. And, right. and then I actually then uh, I started, a, a, we had an eating disorders group. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was that was really really interesting. Yeah, and that's when I, I quite tough work though, wouldn't it? That's when I realised exactly that point. Yeah. Um, not only was it complex, very very complex, but I also realised it's it's actually also simple. Mm. Is it? In in my experience, generally it starts. It, it probably it comes around control. Yeah. A lot of the um, and and at the time, I mean, there's now more boys doing, but at the time I was doing yeah. it, it was mainly young girls. Yeah. Um, and it was about control. The only control they had in their life is what they could and couldn't eat, and how they didn't, how they didn't mm-hmm. eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't set out to sabotage their own bodies. Yeah. They didn't but, sabotage yeah. their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just this was the only control they had within the family group right. that they were in, yeah. and so this was the only way they had control. And the problem is. So many treatment plans, the first thing they do is they get these kids and say, okay, this is what you're going to do. Uh, at 9 o'clock you're going to do this, at 10 o'clock, and it's all about control. And yeah. you're going, don't you get it? Yeah. The whole reason why this kid's like this yeah. is because this is the only control they have in their life. And unfortunately, mm. it's having this terrible, terrible impact on them. And the longer they do it, the more complex it becomes. Yeah. Um, and, and you're calling this treatment and you're only feeding into yeah. what is creating the problem yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's about why don't you hand some of the control back to the child? Yeah, yeah just because they're a teenager doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing. So yeah. they're not intentionally out there to no. sabotage themselves. Yeah, and uh, and then so I got frustrated, um, but also the treatments became very complex, particularly when they when they when they started needing to get hospitalised. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Uh, so. Uh, sure. Yeah, we uh, we we moved um, sort of away, but I mean, I I left and went into into ACA anyway. Yeah. Um, even though my, my my practice was thriving at the time. Yeah. Um, but that. I really felt a, a calling. Yeah, absolutely. To, to do something professionally um, for the whole profession, not not just for individuals. But I think the the one thing that I found with um, changes, particularly working with young kids, um, I get I get absolutely blown away. Mm-hmm how smart kids are today yeah they are mm-hmm. i hear people say oh they feel the future future this and i think i think the future's in great hands i have a lot of confidence yeah. in young people and and i believe that they actually have got a lot of answers and i think they're far more prepared mm. to move and do things that we weren't at my age yeah uh, we were far more conformist in my age yeah um, now they're more individualistic and they're more aware Absolutely. you know they ask a lot of questions yeah, yeah. Kids in my day, you, you were careful who you asked questions mm-hmm. to and what you challenged. Yeah. Even you know things like religion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My day, you didn't challenge it. You sort of yeah. hey, you either did or didn't believe, but but you, you had to sit there and be part of it. Yeah. Kids today yeah, openly no, challenge right. it and they mm. they engage if yeah. they believe it. They don't engage if yeah. they don't, and they, yeah. they go down different parts, they explore different things. Mm. Um, that is one of the big changes mm. um, I've seen. Yeah. The other change I've seen is um, and uh, what do, do you say is part of the feminist movement or not is. Because I mean, there's even arguments what's what's feminist, but mm. um, women taking more control mm. yeah. uh, and yeah. not accepting yeah. the status quo. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that's a great thing. Um, yeah. It's something that um, I always was concerned when I was working in, in Woodridge in in, in Brisbane, um, and this was part of the RSL. Yeah. We had a lot of domestic violence, and yeah. and the women were so disempowered, yeah. and there was very little there was very little they could do. Yeah. Um, 
now there's a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of support groups, yeah. and uh, there's still a lot of work to work uh, to, to be done. But when you do a comparison between 20 years ago and mm-hmm. where we're at now, yeah. women have a lot more resources, a lot yeah. more available, so, and there's a lot more people who understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more people going, "It's wrong," and yeah. uh, you know, and domestic violence isn't just about hitting. Yeah. You know, there's no. financial, there's emotional, yeah. Yeah. there's Absolutely. all yeah. different types, and and a lot of it, it it's all all grouped in one. So yeah. um, so that's that's another thing that. Um, I think it's changed with the clients as you yeah. get. You get um, um, you know, women now who are far more prepared yeah. to do things than they yeah. were in my day, as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, we used to we used to manage um, domestic violence a lot. Yeah. It was about right. managing, right. as opposed to trying to help the person to disengage yeah. right. and yeah. realise mm-hmm. that they they didn't deserve to be in that situation and mm-hmm. they didn't have to be, and there were choices. Yep. And we were going to help them with those. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so there's a lot more of that now as opposed to yep. working with someone and say, well, let's have a look at trigger points. Let's see if yep. we can minimise those trigger points, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, now it's about trying to help people to actually action them and move away. Yep. So that, yep. that's probably been the, the major difference. The major difference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Um, thanks, thanks for all, all that information. Um, yeah, definitely uh, anyone out there you know experience anything like this please you know it's it's always important to reach out for support you know as as philip is saying you know um it's always good to feel empowered that there are a lot of supports out there a lot of services that can help you um if anyone had any uh, you know questions or you know anything they um you know they'd like to just text in um you know i just wanted to remind you that that you can do that um the number is 0493 um, so uh, I want to go into a, li- a little bit more about you as sort of a, a therapist, um, a few sort of points there. Um, we will just sort of play an ad before we get into that. So we'll hear from that. Oi, 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 oi. IGA is shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. All right, thank you for that. Um, Yes, so a little bit sort of for you as yourself, um, as a therapist, um, I I know you've you've heard that the term sort of burnout and compassion fatigue. and, I, and I, I'm sure um, listeners have sort of remembered a few of my episodes last year where I looked at, you know, how, how I am sort of as a therapist and how I manage it, you know, how I kind of carry everyone. Um, what, what type of sort of self-care routine do you have to manage or prevent those things? Um, I have a family that keeps me very well grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. have a wife that keeps me very, very grounded. Oh, sure. um, yeah. But um, professionally... Um, but I'm, I'm fortunate in one sense that I, because of the nature of my work, I get to see a lot of people in a different, lot of wearing it sort of different hats, particularly mm-hmm. in advocacy, mm-hmm. and that takes me away. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's it adds difference to the job. Mm. But um, for me, I'm I, I love my science fiction. Mm. Um, wow. a bit like uh, you know the Big Bang Theory, um, yeah. you know, Star yeah. Trek and Do you Star watch the Wars. Show? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely good is love that it. Show? <laughs> I've been I love rewatching it. it all. Yeah. Um, I cried when he won the Nobel Peace Prize. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, and so I I um I use television a lot and mm. and and I use science fiction and the reason I use science fiction is because it's not real. Mm. Um, yeah. And so um, 
even though you know, it, obviously there's a potential for it to maybe real one day, but um, yeah. I like to get lost in it and knowing it's not real yeah. for me is the relaxation part. Yeah. There's no need to get stressed and to buy yeah. into any of it or try and analyse it yeah. or yeah. or yeah. try and pick it apart. It's just yeah. a fantasy happening in front of me that yeah. I just sort of get involved in and I can just relax, lie back. And after uh, watching a, a show or two or a movie, yeah. um, I just I absolutely... Um, revitalised afterwards it re- yeah. totally recharges my batteries because yeah. I have that relaxation away mm. um, yeah. there's obvious things like the um, the family mm. the kids and, and yeah. exercise and those sort of things but, sure. but but my uh, my watching science fiction uh, yeah. on on television is great. for me great sort of helps you escape a little bit it, that's the word escape yeah. is what I mean it's not yeah. real you know? yeah um, a lot of movies and that you, you you watch you know what's happening in front of you is not real but it's portraying yeah. something and it could be something highly emotional and, yeah. and and, and people have been traumatised, and and I don't need to, uh, and and um, yeah, I, I care about people, but I don't need to watch it in my own time. Yeah. Um, when you're living yeah. it, um, it, yeah. it, it, you need to have that break for sure. Yeah. What do you say to other therapists who believe that watching television or being on social media shouldn't be part of a self care routine? Look, every every uh, you know every person's entitled to their own opinion. Uh, yeah. What works. Um, mm. I always come back to like the clients in front of me. Each human being is unique, and yeah. I'm I'm reticent to tell anybody what they should and shouldn't do. I, on the basis that makes me an expert on who they are. That's right. And yeah. so for for a therapist to say you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that, and yeah. if a person's doing it and it's working, it's well, directive. why yeah. would I why would yeah. I stop what's working? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, you can say, and we know we can look at the statistics, and we know uh, with kids mm. so much. Screen time, yeah, and it's the screen sure. time is yeah. necessarily bad for them, not necessarily everything they're seeing on it, but no, screen, time. screen time. So, yeah, we have to monitor that sort of stuff yeah. and, and teach yeah. people yeah. not to be able to. But when I watch television on social media, I don't invest anything emotionally. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm working with somebody, I invest everything. Yeah. And that's the that's difference. And so yeah. if somebody can uh, wants to go on to social media or the web, Facebook, mm. or mm-hmm. watch a movie, and as long as they're not getting emotionally invested, yeah. um, uh, and... So that's helping them to have a break. Yeah. Who am I to tell them otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, I've got a question from Eleanor. Yes, sorry. She wants to know what is your favourite area of counselling to work in, such as eating disorders, alcoholism, etc. And if you've already answered this, please ignore it. (laughs) Um. I, I, yeah, it, it's. I've never been drawn to one because I've always been been uh, more of a generalist than, than getting too too much into specialties. Um, but um, I do love working with couples. Do you? Okay. I do. Mm, yeah. Um, I find couples absolutely fascinating. Um, <laughs> and the more I work with couples, the more I realise the um, absolute missed opportunity we have in using the schooling system yeah. to teach kids about advanced communication skills. I think it should be part of our curriculum. Um, the simple fact is, whether people like it or not, males are wired differently to mm-hmm. females. Mm-hmm. So why aren't we teaching kids that? Why aren't uh, we teaching them the differences yeah. uh, and then how to overcome that and so we can communicate better as genders? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we now have you know, transgenders. We have we have all sorts yeah, of all, all sorts, sorts of, of individuals. And yep. why aren't we learning how to communicate with them? Because each has its own unique communication. Yeah. So we should be teaching that at schools yeah. on how do we do that and if we can communicate better then everything else falls into place. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I like about working with couples. A lot of the time 
there's these they come in and there's a big mess and a lot of times it's just simply a communication that mm. they they one's not hearing what the other's saying yeah um because the other hasn't got a clue what the other one's saying it's it's not a point of not even listening it's like they can't interpret what's mm. being said to them in yeah. the matter and mm. what is being said yeah. but also is there an expected response or not mm. or what is that expected response yeah. yeah um is it rhetorical isn't it rhetorical mm. Um, yeah. All those sorts of differences. So working with couples, you actually see that live. Yeah. You, know, you read about it, you hear about it. With couples, you see it live and it's a really great <laughs> privilege to be there, to be yeah. the conduit. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you do in a lot of, you know, in my experience, a lot of couples. Yeah. Um, it is simply just being the conduit and they learn through you being the conduit. Yeah. And they really realise, you know what, you know, um, it, it, uh, I have to accept some responsibility and I haven't been hearing what they've been saying. I've been listening, but I haven't been hearing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't been seeing who yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, and when I do that, I, you know, I really realise why I, I'm with this person because yeah. they are everything I thought they were. We've just yeah. had this communication breakdown. Yeah, yeah. 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 Great. So. That's a great approach. Thank you. Um, so I know that um, both of us, maybe for myself um, and many other therapists and professionals in their field have experienced imposter syndrome. I'm sure you've heard <laughs> that word before. Um which, you know, for, for people listening, which is described mostly as feeling like a fraud or a phony and doubting yeah. their abilities. Um, have you ever experienced something like that? In your Do you still experience you still imposter experience? syndrome? I'd like to know that as well. Or has that disappeared? Um, look, without seeming like a negativist, um, <laughs> it's, it's not something I really have ever... I, I've, I've absolutely... I felt it in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's simply because a lot of people told me I I um, I wasn't qualified. No one no one actually saw me practice or uh, yeah. knew what my outcomes were or anything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, but what I've what I've what I've discovered that one of the one of the negative sides of mental health mm. is well, there's a lot of egos in, in mental health. Mm. Um, a lot of people are highly invested in themselves mm. and promoting themselves. And to do that, they put out negative connotations on others. And yeah. we have it within the disciplines. Um, we unfortunately have some disciplines will will look down their nose on other disciplines, yeah. um, and because there is this hierarchy within um, within mental health, um, and, I, and I'll call it what it is. It, it you know we we how people generally see it, and you can see it through the referral systems and the hospitals and yeah. and the way we are, are looked at through the health system is we have the psychiatrist. Whatever they say, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Uh, and if you go to the court. And you've got a report by a psychiatrist. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many reports you've got by other people. Yeah. Um, the one with the psychiatrist, or, or the, the the course will always take that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you get the clinical psychs, and then you get the psychs and the generalists, and, and even within psychology, there's this big mm. brawl going on now because you've got the clinical psychs saying we're better than the others, yeah. and the others going, well, no, you're not, and yeah. and yeah. I'm not going to get involved in who's right or wrong. But yeah. there is that that is a real thing that's happening within psychology, and then. Uh, it seems then that the psychologists um, tend to look down on the counsellors. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, you, uh, you can't do this. I mean, I, I, I can't believe the amount of times I've been told by another professional what I can't do. Oh, really? Uh, said, oh. Wouldn't it be nice to tell me what I can do? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. can't do assessments. You can't do diagnosis. You oh. can't do this. You can't go, and I go, why? Yeah. Um, Funny because in mental health we were taught how to do assessments now, yeah. so maybe yeah. it's changing. Hey, the only reason you can't do assessments is because you haven't been taught how to do it. It's yeah. about working within your skill level that yeah. you've been trained in and not the title that you hold. Yeah. The title doesn't give you no. um, sudden abilities yeah. or or, or yeah. the uh, you know, credibility. Yeah. If yeah. you have 
studied and you have trained in assessment, then you can do assessments. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter what your title is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the same with diagnosis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody who can read can read a DSM-5. Absolutely. Um, or the, the ICD. The, yeah. they're, 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 they're documents that you, you can know. read and put it together. Um, and so long as you've done the formal training and you understand yeah. what you're reading, yeah. you understand what it's, how it's been developed and, and, and yeah. how it all works, then yeah. why can't you do that? Yeah. But we have people telling us that we can't and you go, you know, and, and, the, and my, my answer is, okay, why? Yeah. Oh, because, and then they start bringing in some... It's it's uh it, it doesn't even make any sense. Mm. But they they some some will talk about legislation and laws, and you go well, point me in that direction because yeah. there's none. Yeah, there's, there's no isn't. laws or legislation no. to cover that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's working within your yeah. skill levels, which yeah. is why you become registered within a peak body because it's yeah. the peak body's job mm-hmm. to ensure that all its members and, and and practitioners are working within their skill level. And yeah. if somebody is out there diagnosing and assessing who has got no training, yeah. then you come down like a ton of bricks because yeah. that is dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. But if they've got the yeah. formal training. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of this imposter system comes from. Yeah. Um, and that is, it comes from within the profession itself. Um, and I learned a long time ago yeah. to to take note of what other people are saying, but don't invest in it. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. Um, if somebody else has got a problem, fine. Um, and um, if I'm doing the wrong thing, I've got a peak body that's got a complaints mechanism, yeah. and people can take me yeah. Uh, yeah. to that complaints mechanism, and, yeah. and we can we can be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I certainly don't think your title um, is what you can judge yeah. what a person can or can't do anything with. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, it's it's nonsense, and that's where a lot of that um, imposter syndrome comes from. But I know a lot of psychologists have it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I suppose there's nothing unhealthy about um, questioning yourself. And yeah. I think self, self-reflection self is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we should always be striving to improve. We yeah. never know everything. Yeah. And I think the only thing we have to – the question we've got to always ask ourselves is, how much don't I know? Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing that and you're striving to continually find an answer to that, then, then you should do okay. But it's when you think you know it all. Yeah. That's when you've got a problem. Okay, I've got another text from one of our listeners, Tracy Long. She just wants to say, hello, hey guys, interesting shows always, and Philip is a really interesting guest. <laughs> thanks Thank for you, that, Tracy. Tracy. Thank you. <laughs> um, th- thanks for that. That's uh, really interesting. Well, my next, my other question was, um, you know, what type of advice you would give, but it sounds like, you know, just to sort of stick within your skill set and constantly be, you know, curious and, you know, what, what don't I know? Yeah, and be confident. Be confident yeah. in what you've been taught. If you've been, if you if you have done the, the proper training mm-hmm. and the uh, and it's been um, a, uh, a, a a properly a, you know a good standard training that you've mm-hmm. done and and the, the qualification you have, you've got the qualification. Be mm-hmm. confident in what you have been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, get out there and use it, and and you'll learn as you go. Well, none of us are perfect. We'll all make mistakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we just try not make too many in, in our industry because a mistake could be uh, de- detrimental to a, a client. But. Yeah. Um, that's why we have supervision. Yes. You know, use supervision to make sure what you're doing is working. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I have another question from Kasun. Being a novice counsellor, I'd like to know the difference between PACFA and a- ACA in your opinion. Oh, spelling? <laughs> <laughs> They're spelled differently? Yeah. Um, look, I'm not here to criticise. Yeah, um, I know you said that earlier. Uh, I'm the CEO of ACA, therefore I'm biased. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the... Uh, you know, both associations uh, do a, a great job. They both exist for a reason. Um, 
ACA's got just under 13,000 members now. I think PAC was floating around about the, the 4,000 mark, and I think that says it all. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, another question. This is from Guy. Will there be any changes to the counselling space under the Labor government? Um, look, there are, I don't... Um, it's a difficult question. There, there, are, um, there are changes afoot. Um and not necessarily because it's a Labor government, but because we've got uh, we now have Labor in every state. And mm. one of the the challenges, particularly as an advocate, is if I come down to Victoria and say it's, it's Liberal, and um, and then I go to the federal government and it's Labor. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, some of the resistance you're going to get is going to be simply the ministers don't want to support a Liberal policy, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, even if it's in the best interest of the community, right. yeah. you know, the politics right. comes into it. Um, when you have um, all the states now being Labor, um, the uh, the federal government will listen okay. more readily because it's yep. in its interest. It, yeah. it's, it wants to, it obviously, they have their own interest to keep the, as, as many Labor uh, governments as possible. So, yeah. But also the ease of the, the ease of talking between the states mm-hmm. and the federal government seems, from my, my perspective, mm-hmm. and, and I've, heard, I've heard this mentioned in, 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 with politicians mm-hmm. I've spoken to, you can speak a lot easier and a lot quicker and okay. a lot more efficiently yep. because they're all the same party. The, yep. the, that competition is gone. Yep. Okay. And yep. uh, so um, I, think, um, I think it's a shame that um, we, we finally, and, and I'm not saying Liberal or, or Labor, mm-hmm. but it's a shame that we yep. suddenly all got uh, all one party um, with the with the federal government, and we have yeah. this big deficit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there, there could have been significant changes yeah. if there wasn't the deficit, yeah. and we had that. But yeah. um, uh, certainly, um, speaking, um, and again, I'm not supporting one side or the other, but I can say, having uh, spent some time in Canberra um, with uh, Minister Butler yeah. uh, and uh, Mr McBride, yeah. and uh, talking to um, the, the governments in Victoria, mm-hmm. um, there certainly uh, seems to be a lot more movement, a lot more urgency. To get things changed, yeah, yep. um, we've had very, very positive discussions here in Victoria with the Victorian government about bringing councils more into schools, yeah, um, and in other areas. I, there's another area I can't talk about, but we're starting a trial with the Victorian government at the end of the year, yeah, uh, and it'll be breaking into a, a whole in, whole new industry that we uh, have have uh, had no success in getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, uh, because of the shortage, the the workforce shortage um, with mental health and and. Not only that, I mean that that's that's part of the uh, what's helped things move along. But mm-hmm. the fact that counselling's come of its own, people are aware now that we are professionalised. Yep. We do hold qualifications. We do know what we're doing. Yep. Uh, we're, we're well organised. Yep. Um, that uh, that they can trust us and have faith in us. Yeah. That uh, people are now using us in areas mm-hmm. where they haven't used us before. Yep. Um, so there's there's a lot more of that happening, and I think. Uh, the only, the only thing we haven't got now um, is, is probably the Medicare rebates. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've got everything else. Yeah, going to ask you plenty about that yeah. soon. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so that's about the, the only area that uh, we haven't broken into. But certainly yeah. um, I, I can say um, I'm seeing um, more, um, more action from this current government than I did the last. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, great. Okay, so moving on. If someone in Australia is feeling anxious or depressed, for example, how do they actually go about getting the help they need? Where would be the best place to start? Unfortunately, the answer uh, relies on resources. What resources do you have access yeah. to? Yeah. Um, obviously, if you can afford private services, mm-hmm. um, then you simply go on the web and you, okay. like if you're looking for a counsellor, go to the ACA website and yeah. the, the find a counsellor and you, yeah. you have all those choices. Okay. Um, 
Um, but if you uh, if you need to use the um, the Medicare system, then obviously you need to go to your GP, mm-hmm. um, who will give you a referral through the better uh, a mental health care plan yeah. and into the better access. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of um, it, it depends on the how how much help you you believe you need or yeah. or, or, or how long you've had the the issue and what the challenges are. Mm-hmm. A lot of the call lines are very very good. There's mm-hmm. some some really good call lines out yeah, there. there uh, the Kids Helpline is excellent, mm-hmm. um, it, though it um, it gets swamped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the men's helpline is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of the call lines, the only problem they have is they just don't have enough people yeah. um, mm-hmm. to respond to, to the call. So yeah. those, those call centres are very good to manage, help manage an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they, won't, they won't help you to resolve it, yeah. but they'll certainly help you to manage it until you can get help. Yeah. But certainly um, in Australia, the, um, you know, the, our GPs are the gatekeepers of mental health. And I'm not going to get into a debate whether they should or shouldn't be. The, the fact is they are. Yeah. And so you, your first call should be your GP yeah. if you need help. Yeah. Um, and uh, they can give you the uh, the right referrals. Mm. Um, or uh, you can always, if you have the resources, seek private services. Mm. Yep. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, okay. So... Um, so this next part, I uh, just want to look in sort of the, the trends of mental health, um, sort of in, in your experience and, and things like that. Um, I, I know we spoke a bit about, um, you know, the, the, the main kind of issues that, that you're seeing. Um, maybe within your own practice, um, what, how has the sort of trends in presenting issues of clients changed uh, maybe over, over the last sort of 20 years or in your career? Um, or have they changed? Or they've changed. Or are they pretty much the same? Um, they've become more specific. Yeah. Um, like when you have um, uh, youth, you know, you'll you'll now have transgender mm-hmm. and those types of issues yeah. which you didn't have yeah. years ago because um, they, they just didn't feel safe. Yeah. Um, or there's a lack of recognition mm. um, of the you know, separate um, identities that people have. Mm-hmm. Um, but but all in all, um, yeah, I think people much. people. The problems that we have now are not that different to the problems our parents had. Uh, they just we experience them in a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say the one big difference that we we have right now that we didn't have in the past was climate change trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That is real. Um, and again, I'm not going to get into an argument with the skeptics. Um, what I can say is I've done work with the Pacific Island nations, mm-hmm. and when you're standing on somebody's land that's now underwater that wasn't. Yeah. 12 months ago or two oh, years yeah. ago yeah. try and tell them true. that it's not true yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and as I said I, I don't get into certainly yeah. the reasons as to why mm. it's, it's happening all yeah. I can say is it, it is real and yeah. I do I've, I've done a lot of work in Asia um, and even in Asia you know the monsoon season's totally changed yeah. you used to be able to set your watch by it you can't anymore yeah. um, and it's a, it's a lot more it's shorter but a, um, it's um, a lot more aggressive okay. yeah. Um, so the, the climate, there is climate change. Mm-hmm. Why? I just said it. That, that's I'm not sorry. that's not mine to debate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but trauma from climate change is yeah, real. real, and and um, you'll you'll hear kids now, yeah. at, at uh, state school age, yeah. discussing it and are concerned. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know you'll even you know, I've got a ten year old and and you know, he's 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 put the blame at my feet a few times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say, well, sorry, but you know, dad didn't set out to do this to yeah. give you all these problems for when yeah. you get older. Yeah. Um, yeah. My generation certainly contributed. Um, but let's uh, let's let's be more constructive and look at what we can mm. do about it as opposed yeah. to laying blame. Yeah. Laying yeah. blame does, it never achieves anything. No. Achieves yeah. nothing. Um, let's look at what we can do to, to move on and do it. And uh, so um, I've become uh, far more active uh, in that area. Mm. Um, the uh, the ACA journal that's coming out this month is mm. focused on climate change. Yep. Um, and 
uh, ACA is is uh, getting involved in in climate uh, change, uh, being active in that area. Um, and um, you know, our conference that we're having in uh, September is, is on resilience, based mm-hmm. around that, but also resilience in, in trauma and other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, um, that would be the one big difference that we yeah. now face mm-hmm. as therapists that we've never faced before. Yeah, Thank you. Um, in terms of you know training um, over the last, you know, even now over the last years, have, have there been any shifts in approaches to, to how how we would train train counsellors? Um, look, not really. when I when I talk to students now, and I, I do a lot of work within universities, I, and here in in, uh, in Victoria, I, I do a fair bit of work with uh, with Monash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, the the the, uh, the 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 constantly questioning their abilities right. that hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should I? Shouldn't I? Um, yeah. Can I? Can I? You know, what I can't do. None of that has changed. Mm. Um, I think that the, the there's a a few things that have changed, and and um, I don't know whether good or bad, but I know when, when I did my training, we did uh, we had to do we had to do with three days of interviews before we could do our training, um, and uh, there was quite a lot of people that didn't pass right. those interviews. So we spent three days yeah. that um, to, to be able to get into yeah that yeah. So yeah. so oh, when I when okay. I did my, my yeah. degree, we yeah. we spent three days at the University of New England in Armadale, yeah. um, going through a whole heap of workshops and assessments, wow. and and so all the lecturers eyeballed us before we we came wow. in wow. because why did uh, they do that? Well, the walking, the, the, the basically the the helping wounded or the wounded helpers, yeah. um, people who were coming for the wrong reason, people right. who were coming in really who 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 had issues and challenges that, that didn't make them in the right space yeah. at that time. Yeah. Now, it didn't mean they couldn't become one, yeah. but at that time in their life, they really weren't ready and they were there for the wrong reason. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, and so they needed to to look at. Uh, Resolving a few issues before coming back and doing it. Um, so as I said, it wasn't wasn't to define whether somebody could or couldn't be a good counsellor, but it was about are you ready? Are yeah. you in a are you in a right space to be able to take on other people's issues, right. um, without letting yours get in the way? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's become unpopular, but also there is the issue of. Uh, yeah, litigation that comes into that when you say to somebody, we don't think you're ready, and yeah, they can yeah. say, well, what makes you the expert on whether yeah. I'm ready or not? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it does become a little bit more difficult. Um, when I first started training, you didn't ask those questions, you just yeah. accepted it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that was a, that was a good system. Yeah. Um, because when I look at the complaints mechanisms now, and you look at the HCCC, and uh, even within ACA itself, um, there's been a significant rise in complaints. And... Um, a lot of those complaints are, are boundary violations by by therapists, and uh, you know when you when you have a look at it and you get into it, you really you do really do ask the question: Why is that person practicing? They've really yeah. got issues that they they need to resolve. Then come back to practice once they've resolved them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. absolutely. Yeah, so even in, in our experiences, well, when we, we both studied at ACAP, the Australian mm-hmm. Counselling, yep. ca- uh, the Australian College of Applied Professions now. Yeah, it used to be psychology. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they've just changed it recently. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember there was a very heavy focus on person-centred in, mm. in the approaches yep. there. Um, do you think, well, that was sort of only a few a few years ago that, that yeah. we did that. Um, and, and we, we did learn about other modalities. Yeah, we did learn. Yeah. That, that was sort of the, at the um, sort of basic, the yeah. uh, foundational units that, that we did. Um, with, with constant shifts in society and, and the approaches and things sort of emerging, um, do you think that 
this approach or the approaches at the moment are staying, are pacing itself with the constant yeah. change in society? Does it need to change or what do, what do you think? No, I think that the, the, the modalities are, are well grounded and, and uh, um, are founded in, in, in pretty solid evidence. Yep. Um, and we know, you know most of them, well, the ones we use um, in training uh, are evidence-based. Mm. And so we know the work. I think it's about the, um, the therapist having the... Um, Having the insight to to know yep. what what to use, when to use it, how to use it, but mm-hmm. also that nothing's in concrete. That these yep. things are all flexible and they all morph and, and, yep. and are flexible and, mm-hmm. and can change, yep. and they have to with the client. Um, yep. It's only when you have a, a therapist who becomes um, solidly ingrained in, in a in a modality and in its A B C D E. Well, that's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. Um, that yeah. and that that's the therapist issue, not the modality issue. Yeah. 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 So the focus psychological therapies we use now are good, mm-hmm. but I mean, look, where he's. Um, there are like uh, yeah, EMDR for trauma. Mm. Yeah. Um, my only my only concern with EMDR with trauma is that some of the advocates who want to uh, who are putting it forward are saying it's the gold standard. Well, there's no such thing in, in therapy. Yeah. That that's to assume everyone's the same. Yeah. Uh, there is no gold standard. Yeah. Um, and um, therefore, we need to be progressing and using things that you have EFT, the, the um, you know, tapping, tapping um, as, well. as yeah. opposed to you know, the yeah. EMDR. Yeah. Um, look, they all have a place. Yeah. Um, they all have a place. Um, I just don't think uh, it's anyone's interest to get bogged down in one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also to use them flexibly, you know, yeah. where, where it's appropriate, where it's not. But yeah. um, as I said, uh, don't become too ingrained in the A, B, C, D, E. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Thank you. Okay, me. All right, so I'm moving on to ethics in counselling. Mm. Such a great subject. Um, so... I know that I'd like to ask uh, – the question I'd like to ask involves ethics and the role that the ACA has in making sure counsellors follow the code of ethics. So I'll just elaborate. The counsellors have a duty of care for clients and by nature of the profession, counsellors have to act in the best interest of the client to promote client goals, protect client rights, maximise good and minimise harm. Following a code of ethics means acting honestly as a business person. So how does the ACA monitor, maintain, set and improve professional standards in counselling, education and practice? Okay, so there's many questions in one question. Yeah, um, jumbled them all together. <laughs> well, obviously the the greatest um, way we have of maintaining it is, uh, is the public, is, is um, making sure that um, the consumer... Um, is aware they have rights Um, and that is a priority so uh, you know when people say why does ACA exist actually we exist um, as a a form of protection for the consumer that's why we exist Mm -hmm. to make the counsellor accountable and make sure they know what they're doing Um, yeah we don't exist to make money and to register counsellors that's part of what we do Mm -hmm. to get to our end game which is about being making sure the counsellors are accountable to the consumer So the consumers, because I have access to a complaints mechanism, uh, believe me, because uh, all complaints have to come across my desk, um, there's plenty of people out there who are holding councillors accountable. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the so system... Get, so complaints do actually happen oh, boundaries. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, oh, and I they're growing. I hear this much, so... Yeah, oh, no, they're, they're growing. <laughs> yeah. um, and social media is the, the biggest um, the, the biggest challenge is where the, a lot of boundaries have been okay. uh, violated. But, um, Are you able to give an example? Yeah, look, um, look, we we have uh, complaints come in from um, uh, from from clients, um, and uh, part of their evidence they'll they'll lay out a uh, you know, three or four pages of text messages. Oh wow! Um, and uh, you know, a counsellor shouldn't be texting a client in between <laughs> yeah. sessions. No. Yeah. 
Um, but there'll be SMSs, there'll be texts, but then also we get um, uh, snapshots of um, Facebook pages. So councillors will go on and they'll talk about clients on their Facebook page oh. because they, they it's a private, closed Facebook page. They think that's okay. Well, it's no, not. No. Um, or what they'll do is they'll uh, say, oh, no, I didn't talk about the client. I didn't name the client. But it's pretty obvious to everybody who's in that Facebook group because a lot of people know each yeah. other exactly who is being discussed. Yeah. yeah. Total violations, total yeah, boundary violations, sure. and and breaches of confidence Absolutely. Uh, for the uh, for the clients. That is happening more and more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get as the evidence, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's um, yeah, it's. I've got a question. Yeah? What if you're uh, facilitating a workshop? Say the workshop is about performance anxiety. Yeah. Um, are you then, and then you have, you know, some some of the audience talking about their experiences. And that was posted on social media. Would that be a boundary violation? Absolutely. If you didn't have their written permission first. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's what it's all about. It's about permission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of things in life actually can be very easily resolved if we simply seek permission yeah. and authority from people before we take uh, yeah. mm-hmm. action or do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it becomes a boundary violation. Yeah. Um, but then again, the counsellor also has to use their own common sense, uh, even if they got permission. Yeah. Is this mm. is this going to help the person or not yeah. help them? And yeah. suddenly getting a whole bunch of um, armchair experts throwing in their 10 cents mm. worth, does that actually help the client? Yeah. Or does it make it worse? Particularly when you get a troll uh, or a bunch mm. of trolls come yeah. in and they start really yeah. um, being yeah. aggressive sure. towards the client and, and that client can absolutely break up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that's the problem with uh, with social media, whether it be um, even with SMSing and, and things yeah. like that, mm-hmm. is other people become involved. Once you put something in writing, it's out there. You yeah. can't change it, yeah. but it can be taken out of perspective as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the challenge for complaints. Yeah. We get the uh, we get the copies, but we don't get the, the context. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the context then becomes what they said, you know, he said, she said, yeah. and so on and so forth, yeah. which makes it even more difficult. Yeah. So, but, so ethics, that, that is probably the biggest challenge that we have. So mm-hmm. ethics is becoming far more and more an issue because yeah. of social media yeah. um, and uh, all the different platforms out there as, as councils are using those platforms yeah. um, when they shouldn't. Mm. Um, so it's such a slippery slope, isn't right. it? You can easily go down that pathway. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't even know you're doing it half the time. It's quite harmless in your mind. But people are not people are not thinking. Um, you know, you get onto a Facebook page and you're doing after work and it's night time. You've had a hard day. Yeah, you're not necessarily thinking straight. No, uh, and you start putting a few things in in uh, in, in in writing yeah. and you post it. Yeah. It's done. Uh, you yeah. can't take it back. And the next day you look at it and you reread it. Oh, I'll tell you what, I say that. Yeah. That wasn't really smart, or that's not what I meant. Uh, and yeah. that's where you get a lot of people that, well, that, you know, they've taken it the wrong way. And you say, well, if I was to read that, this mm. is how I take it. You know? yeah. Maybe if you'd thought about it. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, something I do a lot is um, even if, you know, I, I, because uh, I have to answer to a board and, and I might get uh, some instruction come down from the board about, about something to do with the ACA. And I think, what a lot of, oh, this is just, oh, you just don't. I'll write out an email or I'll put all my emotion in it and, uh, and then I don't send it. Yeah. And uh, and then I rewrite it again and sometimes I might rewrite it three or four times. So I get the fourth time, I've got a lovely answer that's, that's politically correct and yeah. there's no emotion in it and it's yeah. objective and everything else. But the first one or two, it was really great just getting yeah. all that emotion out. Yeah, yeah. The trick is not to hit the send button. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you always make sure you don't put an address <laughs> yeah, yeah. in that email but you just you send just sit there yourself. and yeah, a bit of therapy myself and yeah. let it out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the trick. 
let it out. Yeah. But don't let it out to That's everybody else. Just yeah. let it out and you've had your say. Yeah. Then you come back to think, okay, now I've got to be professional yeah. and it's got to be constructive, it's mm. got to be objective, it's yeah. got to be balanced and I have to see their side of it too yeah. and so on and so forth. Mm. People, um, particularly therapists, need to really look at that before they post anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing uh, you get is, is, oh, but I wasn't a therapist. I, I wasn't a counsellor when I did that. And say, so, sorry. If somebody knows you're a counsellor, everything you say, post and do, people are going to judge you as a counsellor. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't see that mm-hmm. and, um, and, and you struggle with that, well, then maybe counselling is not what you should because that goes for all professions and there's been test cases in law. Mm. Um, where um, financial advisors um, have yeah. said something offhand at a barbecue without wearing a hat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people have acted on that, thinking they've got some good advice. And um, they find out that um, somebody's going to sue them. And, and yeah. the courts will say, well, you're a financial advisor. Everybody knows you're a financial advisor. Mm. And so when you said that, it was taken as financial advice, even yeah. though it was at a barbecue yeah, and yeah. a social event. <laughs> yeah. yeah, There's accountability there. Yeah, um, same with counselling. Yeah. 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 Sort of representing no matter where we are. Yeah, yeah it, sure. it, it, it's tough. I, I, you know, um, my wife's a psychologist, and um, when she goes to school uh, and, um, and, and she goes to the parent teacher meetings, mm. she's got to be careful um, what she says. Um, she only talk about her son, um, and even when she talks to groups of other mothers, and, and they're all there and they're picking apart other kids' personalities and, yeah. you know, doing stuff, my wife can't join in. Yeah. Uh, because if she mentions anything about personality, yeah. Yeah. then everyone's going, oh, she's a psychologist. Yeah. She's making a, 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 a diagnosis or an yeah. assessment or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and so when we pick these professions, that's what we, we have to accept that comes to the territory. Yeah. Yeah. Be like a politician. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah for sure. Thank you. Um, okay, so um, this next part, um, as I mentioned before, we, you know, we like to do research on the guest and we've mm-hmm. done a bit of digging and, and we had a look at um, uh, your article around the Australia's hidden health crisis, um, which I found really fascinating and mm-hmm. really important thing to, to be aware of. Um, so we have a few questions for that. Uh, we will just hear from our last um, advertiser before we do. If you're the Caraway, just call Mitchell Tall or in Patterson Lakes. Just call Mitchell Tall. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tall. Buy a summer house, just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Real estate. Oh, yeah, little real estate. We want more. <laughs> We've done it. One take. All right, thanks to those um, sponsors. So, yeah, so diving into um, your article, um, you know, we, we've did some some digging, but maybe just um, for the for the listeners, um, you know, in, in some simple terms, sort of what what your um, what what it was sort of about. Um, I've written dozens of articles. I got to try anything back to it. So the um, um, I think that was the, just primarily pointing out the fact that particularly people in rural and regional areas mm-hmm, are totally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, underdone when it comes to yep. services and access yep. um, is a big one a lack of access but also lack there are a lack of services yep. to to access yep. um, and yeah you know, and I hate to use a, an old old phrase but really uh, uh, people in rural and regional Australia are, are treated like second-class citizens mm-hmm. um, they're expected to um, to um, to to be happy to have um, fewer services yeah. um, less yeah. access and 
And even uh, when you look at some of the solutions that are being put forward, mm-hmm. what what have been put forward is, oh, oh we should give them um, second-class citizens, uh, sorry, second-class services. Yeah. When you look at what they, they're, they're, um, they're suggesting, oh, what we can do is maybe we should get provisional psychologists out there. Yeah. A provisional psychologist is somebody with no practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why? Because I live in regional yeah. Victoria, mm-hmm. rural Victoria. Why should I? I mean, if I lived in... In Melbourne at South Yarra or somewhere like that, would I be? No, that that would be the last thing I would be seeing. Yeah. Um, I understand it's a, uh, it's you know they're trying to look at at the um, the workforce issues, but I mean there are um, registered councils out there who are not provisionals who've got several years of supervised practice under their under their belts um, and uh, and and can service yeah. the the client populations out there. So it's. Um, why are we looking at a solution? But, um, but again, also looking at the, oh, let's pay people. Oh, God, I mean, um, you know, how often have we done that? We did, we did it with teachers. We did it with nurses. Yeah. We did it with GPs. Yeah. You can't financially incentivise professionals to go yeah. out and rule and regional Australia. Yeah. Uh, what we need to do is we need to have people from rural and regional mm. Australia have um, yeah. a belief and confidence that there is actually a professional uh, and employment for them in their area. Mm. But they don't have to. Why should they move to the city? Yeah. Um, unless they want to, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no future for them. Yeah. Um, but the point is, there is a future because technically there is a demand on their services. Yeah. The the government's just not putting together the right sort of uh, plans yeah. Yeah. Uh, to do it. But also, um, you know, we have councillors who live in rural regions who are born and bred in, in yeah. those regions who can't because the government won't give them access yeah. to um, to to the government mm-hmm. rebates. Yeah. And if they did, yeah. then you'd have locals treating locals, yeah. and that's what you really need yeah. because. The, the the other issue I think that the government totally fails to understand, um, and Australians, uh, particularly um, the city Australians, fail to understand that people who live in rural and regional Australia, you can't put them all under that. It's like they all have the same problems, they all have the same issues. Absolutely incorrect. No. Each rural and regional area in Australia is unique. Mm. Some are agricultural, some are, are mining, mm. um, some some work on research. They they all have. Yeah. Unique issues and challenges yeah. to those areas. Yeah. Um, so you can't just say rural regional Australia. This is what we need to do. Yeah. Um, which is why we need to invest in the locals. We need mm-hmm. to invest in local and young people mm-hmm. in those regional areas mm-hmm. to be able to educate them to go into an area they want, so they can go back and practice at home, yeah. um, and have a decent wage, mm-hmm. and have a decent future, yeah. and opportunities, things like that, mm-hmm. um, because they understand those issues better than uh, if you get a locum. And, and I, I heard. I, uh, you know, I, I spent um, quite a few years in Townsville and, and it used to happen there. We used to get uh, locums that come up from, from Brisbane and you would spend half your time trying to explain to them the challenges. Right. You didn't even get down to the issues. Right. <laughs> just, um, and, and they just wanted to go home. Yeah. yeah. They just wanted to go home. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do the basics uh, and then go home. Yeah. And I think that's the problem when you incentivise people. People are there for the money, yeah. not because they yeah. want to be. Yeah. Um, and what do they know? About the uh, the challenges that those people yeah. uh, are under, yeah. and uh, and I think um, it it is not something that can be easily resolved. Yeah. But we we really do need to look at, at a system where we incentivise people from those geographical yeah. areas to stay in those mm-hmm. geographical areas, yeah. and to offer professional services in yeah. those areas. I think yeah. uh, that to me would be the most sensible solution, yeah. Yeah, as opposed sure. to trying to incentivise people mm. with financially who are going to go back to the city anyway. Yeah. So yeah. so it's it's a lost investment. Yeah. It's not a long-term investment. No, it's not. There's sort of a level of disconnection when they come into sort of those regional towns and um, not the level of connection you need when providing those services. 
Yeah, and and each regional area, even even the even just the 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 infrastructure or what is keeping that town alive mm. or that region alive. Yeah. Um, but there are also there are different cultures. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Adelaide's a great one. If you go up into the Adelaide Hills, you know, in, in the wine, uh, there's a lot of German culture. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just knowing that there's wine there yeah, and, yeah. And, and a lot of their issues are to do with the, the, the growing yeah. and the production of wine, but actually yeah. there's a, a strong German culture there yeah. as well. Yeah. So if you don't understand that, yeah. what good are you going to be? And sure. again, you're not going to get a locum no. to yeah. come in from the city who mm. can understand that. And a lot of regional areas in Australia do actually have a strong foundation in a different culture. Mm. You know, there have yeah. been immigrants from overseas have come oh. in yeah. uh, and, and yeah. got into that area. Uh, I think the uh, in in up north the uh, the cane growing a lot of Italian and Greek. Oh really? Mm. Wow. Cool. Okay, I've got a question. So I noticed in the report that counselling services might um, yeah might be available under MBS as a way to increase access to mental health care. So do you know what the likelihood of this happening is? Because we've been hearing it for quite a few years now. Um, look, yeah, it, it's uh, we've been saying it for a good 10, 10 years. Yeah. Um, well, it came out in two thousand six, and um, okay. we were left out. Mm. Um, but as a profession, we weren't ready, um, mm-hmm. so it's unlikely we would have got in in two thousand six anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but from uh, two thousand and ten, we've absolutely been been ready, mm-hmm. um, and that's about uh, being patient. And a lot of it is um, people don't understand how long these things take. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it took the psychologists over thirty odd years to finally get into wow. MBS. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, ACA has its twenty fifth birthday this year, wow. and we're a lot further down the line, I think, than they okay. were yeah. within yeah. twenty five years. Mm. So even though it's a, uh, it's a long time for uh, for those that, and I don't think uh, I'll I'll benefit, but certainly okay. that the young young ones now will benefit. I think um, I think we're very close to it. Okay. We um, I can't say too much. Yeah. Um, but um, ACA is um, working with the appropriate people in the mm-hmm. appropriate departments right. um, to advance uh, that, and uh, we're in uh, we're in a reasonable space with those um, bureaucrats and, and mm-hmm. the people that we're working with to mm-hmm. to advance that. Yeah. Um, the um, certainly uh, Minister Butler and, and uh, McBride um, both um, said they certainly they don't not support it. Mm. Um, so there's no resistance in that part. They both support it. Uh, they both support the contention. They yeah. they both support the idea. Yeah. It's about how do we look at um, how is it going to be financially, um, you know, with a government with major deficit. Yeah. What what from okay from the economics, mm. uh, and we've put together a very very strong economic case. And what we've done is we've actually been able to demonstrate to the government it will save money over a five to ten year period. The government mm. will save money mm. okay. by bringing councils in the system. Yeah. yeah. It'll also bring down a significant current burden that the system yeah, has. Um, for sure. Right now, um, there's a lot of um, uh, services out there that are charging top money, mm-hmm. um, but people can't afford it. People can't afford to get payments. Yeah. Um, you know, councils coming to the system will absolutely bring that down. Mm. And, you know, um, just because it's a mental health issue doesn't mean you can't bring competition in. Yeah. And if you want to lower prices, lower prices, the best way to lower a price in any industry, any business, and that's business 101, bring in competition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by bringing in competition to the marketplace, instead of what we have, we have now, we have uh, a dominant a dominance by one profession yeah. into, into um, Medicare services yeah. and... That profession dominates um, and can call the price. Yeah. Um, there is yeah. no there is no flexibility there yeah. Yeah. because there's no competition. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Bring councils into the system and suddenly you have competition. 
Um, and I'm not suggesting whether the prices they're charging are right or wrong. What yeah. I'm saying is, yeah. as in anything, yeah, yeah. Um, and as long as we maintain the standards, mm-hmm. uh, we're not bringing standards down because, unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes competition can do that, lower yeah. standards. Yeah. Well, as long as ACA, um, you know, uh, uh, our registered councils are out yeah. there part of the system, that mm-hmm. will not happen. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm pretty sure that the... Um, other competing disciplines out there who are already in the system are not going to lot drop their standards. Yeah. Yeah. So there would be no lowering of standards for the Australian public. Mm. But I think there'll be, um, first of all, there'll be a significant drop in gap fee payments. Yeah. Um, but also there will be suddenly services available for low socioeconomic um, Australians, which is the big one because yeah. you know, Medicare was, was, was founded on the base of universality. Universality mm. simply means that it's accessible to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Now, when um, the, the Labor government um, under under um, was it Whitlam? No, it wasn't. Yeah, under Whitlam when they bought yeah. out Medicare. Yeah. Um, the, that's what Medicare was bought out under that mm-hmm. principle principle of universality. Every Australian would get access to to free medical mm-hmm. services, mm-hmm. Um, and that has not happened now. When people have to pay one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars, or even more mm-hmm. as a gap fee, yeah. it's after the rebate. <laughs> Um, that's that. I mean, it's not a rebate. People no. don't have that sort of money in their yeah. pocket to pay on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And when we talk in therapy, we're talking something that is weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it loses it. It's yeah. um, the, the it, it loses the emphasis of what what you build up yeah. uh, to help people. Mm-hmm. And people do not have that sort of money. Yeah. Um, and there is no, there is nothing, there is nothing stalling that or holding it. Actually, the call right now is mm-hmm. that the people under um, MBS or under the better access or yeah. it should be paid more um, so but if we paid them more is there going to be a drop in gap fees no, yeah, no. what yeah. there'll be is maybe a halt yeah so right. gap fees will stop it but people can't afford the gap fees we currently have yeah um yeah. so so that's to me that doesn't work mm. what we have to do is we need to lower and what we need to do is to go back to there's a thing that was brought out many many years ago called bulk billing yes. um yes. <laughs> And people in low socioeconomic areas, that's why we have bulk billing, is because they can't afford. Um, And if you want to help people in low socioeconomic areas to contribute um, and to uh, to contribute more in society and and to to have the the ability to improve themselves, Mm -hmm. we've got to look after health. Um, And if we do that, you'll find that they will... Now, they, they will end up contributing and, and helping more yeah. as opposed to what we do is we alienate them and we talk yeah. about them being the others um, yeah. who, who don't get access to, to anything yeah. or they get – again, it's second-rate services. And yeah. I'm not suggesting that GPs and, and professionals who work with those people are second-rate or yeah. lower. But when there's only a few of them, they don't get a choice mm-hmm. and the, the services aren't there. The professionals who are working in those areas are burnt out. Yeah. They just can't continue doing yeah. it. We need, to, sure. we need to turn that around. Yeah. Um, and, sure. and this is the lucky country yeah. uh, yes. and there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. But these gap fees is just uh, – yeah. I, I think it's, it's – uh, they're, they're terrible, yeah. uh, and and they're preventing the uh, average Australian, and yeah. and it's getting worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, the only way to uh, to do something about it is to bring in some competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't you can't keep going uh, back to the government saying you need to put more money into it because yeah. you know education yeah. needs more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, all yeah. sorts of areas yeah. need more money. Yeah. Everybody needs more money. So yeah. so that that's that's uh, a cat's cry that everyone says. Yeah. Maybe the the professions themselves have a, a responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I say to counsellors that counselling is a, it's an honourable profession. Mm-hmm. It's a good profession. You feel very good yeah. working in it. Um, but if you want to drive a Mercedes, 
is probably not the profession no. uh, you want. There's very yeah. few counsellors who will end up owning a uh, yeah. Mercedes and, and being, yeah. being uh, wealthy. Mm-hmm. It's just not that type of profession. Yeah. Um, and uh, any profession that, that relies on, on government to uh, to add a supply of services really should should have to yeah, accept that that comes with the territory, but yeah. it doesn't. We now have professions working in, in health who, who feel they have a right to be supported by the taxpayer and the, yeah. and the taxpayer who's paying their wages can't afford to see them. No. That's that's the thing that, that yeah. really, that's what upsets yeah. me more than anything else yeah. is that these same people who want all this money yeah. um, are forgetting that it's actually the people who pay their wages yeah. or at least subsidise them to a large degree, let alone their hex, yeah. are actually the ones who need their services. Yeah. But they can't afford them. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's just a disconnect. Um, yeah. and, and I'm certainly not saying yeah, that these people shouldn't be paid good wages uh, and, and get a... Um, a return for their education and the 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 effort that they put into it, mm-hmm. um, but I think we we need to have a look at what are the um, what are the limits yeah, of sure. expecta- expecting the government and the taxpayer continually mm. um, yeah. you know, prop these things up. There yeah. is only so much money, and mm. Uh, mm. right now the gap between the poor and the rich is getting worse in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that was part of the, what what the report was saying. Yeah. Actually, yeah. and particularly rural and regional Australia, it's already there. Yeah. The gaps already exist yeah. significantly, yeah. and it's now happening in the cities. Yeah. yeah. And it will continue yeah. um, while we have uh, uh, the affluent can afford to see the best private services, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the non-affluent can't see any services, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, and and that's uh, that's not how Australia was yeah. founded, no. and that wasn't the intention of Medicare, no. yeah. but it seems to be going in that direction yeah. that um, even with the Medicare rebate, people still cannot access services. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So my other question is, if councillors are covered under MBS, does that mean that we will need to use cognitive behaviour therapy as the main modality in focus to tick off boxes? Um, it all depends on how we come under MBS. Now, I mean, uh, you can use person-centred as well as... Okay. as, as uh, as CBT under yeah. under Medicare, mm-hmm. so that leaves a lot of doors open. Okay, yeah, okay, because yeah. even cognitive behavioural therapy, if you have a look at all the different modalities within CBT now, yeah. you pretty much got open slather to, okay. to be able to use almost anything. Yeah. Um, I know a, a lot of very good therapists out there are not restricted in the sense they use the the modalities as um, as they have to or they can find to within yeah. the uh, the better access, mm-hmm. but yeah. now they can be imaginative. Okay. Um, and use like that. So, I don't think the actual the the uses of the certain modalities will be uh, an overly. From my, if if I had one concern, um, it would be a lot of the arts um, okay. would right. be uh, not be able to use, and that that I think right. is a shame. I, I I'm a yeah. big believer in music therapy, yeah. art therapy, yeah. um, For sure. uh, and those types um, of therapies, even yeah. your, your sand play therapy. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate they probably would not, and that would yeah. be. Um, that'll be past my my lifetime as a CEO, but I think the next CEO of ACA that will be their challenge yeah. is to absolutely yeah. fight yeah. for yeah. the recognition yeah. of a lot of the arts type therapies, which yeah. um, and have is that very just good because evidence. Because there's not that much research out there. Look, they're not actually because yeah, yeah, I hear that all the time. Oh, there's research, and, <laughs> and actually, you know, if you actually take the time out and have a look, there actually there is. Yeah, there's there some is. very there solid evidence based yeah. research, particularly in music therapy. 
Look, it's because um, yeah, it's like anything that's a, a government rebate. Um, yeah. You know, if they, the government always feels that the the uh, the broader we make it, the more people will use it, the less money, well, the more money it's going to cost. Yeah. Right. Um, as opposed to understanding the absolute benefits right. that that come with it. Yeah. Um, so the economics is always an issue. We we've got a. We, we've got a gentleman who, and I won't name him on the radio, but we've got a gentleman who's done some research for us now. He was part of the um, Productivity Commission. Now, I was very, very critical of the Productivity Commission, and I remain, and I remain very, very critical mm-hmm. of the outcomes of product, Productivity yeah. uh, Review in, in what they said about counselling. It was wrong, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, was, it was just wrong. What they said was absolutely incorrect, yeah. and we gave them the information, the proper information, mm-hmm. and they never used it. Uh-huh. And what was written in that report was written as though they didn't have that information uh-huh. because it was yeah. contrary to the information we gave yeah. them. Um, and it was, it was Tommy Rot, absolutely Tommy Rot. Yeah. Um, we got one page and that page was full of questions that we actually answered yeah. uh, for them. Uh, and all those questions were pretty much written in such ways to, yeah. to suggest mm. standards, training and all that right. um, were, were questionable. Uh, and we actually addressed all those. And so yeah. I was very... Annoyed with that. Well, he was part of that, um, and uh, since then he's retired as a bureaucrat uh, within the system. And he's done some research for us, and even he's now a convert. He's turned around and said, "Gee, now I know what you're saying because you know because I, I I'm not backwards and coming forwards." And I told him, even though yeah. um, he was doing work for us, and I said, "You know, the work you did on productivity commission is rubbish." But I know, <laughs> uh, and uh, and since he's done the research that he did, he's actually turned around now and said it was. Yeah. He admits it. Yeah, yeah. He, he admits that everything that was there was yeah. totally. They had no idea. It just. It was wrong. Yeah. Um. And and it was just that we pointed him in the right direction. Mm, yeah. Um. And we thought we'd done that with the productivity commission. Yeah. Um. Mm, and for whatever reason, anyway, it it was what it what is was. Um. And we we yeah. work beyond that now. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. The evidence is there. It's absolutely there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The yeah. the evidence for music therapy and just uh, changing burns in hospitals, but you know the uh, changing bandages for burns victims in hospital is is highly traumatic. Yeah. Um. You know, burns victims are completely uh, yeah. continually re-traumatized. Yeah. When they when they 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 they're doing the yeah treating the the burns and that yeah. because of the pain that and and they found particularly with children after fifty percent um when they when they actually put them play music yeah, for the kids yeah. while they while they're changing the it, it absolutely lessens the trauma uh, and the expectations because yeah. yeah. expectations are trauma yes yeah. if you expect pain you're going to get pain yeah. You know? yeah um but if you can turn it into a as, as pleasant as possible experience yeah, yeah, for sure. they look forward to that pleasantness of the experience yeah. and so yeah. the trauma is not so great yeah um and there's so much evidence in, in, di- in many many different areas yeah. within the art therapy sure. i agree with you um yeah that they should absolutely be part of the yeah, system. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And uh, Even sometimes... Even as a, just another way to express as well. So a mm. lot of my clients with art therapy that are unable to communicate, they find that. Look, there was a heap of um, research done after the, you know, the Boxing Day tsunami. Um, and um, a lot of the kids that were particularly in, in, um, in Thailand were orphaned. Yep. Um, and they're, obviously their education wasn't wasn't the best to, to start with and uh, a group of Australian art therapists went over there to uh, to help because these kids were out of control um, they lost their parents and obviously the, the a lot of the elderly died and, and of course they have the village system and, and so there was no control there was no one to go to yeah. um, and what they found is that the, the 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 problem with most of these kids is they couldn't express themselves yeah. mm. um, they would have counselors come in and oh so how do you feel um, yeah. 
and they would be there. Well, how, I can't tell you. I can't. I don't. The words you. don't exist no. within me yeah. to tell you how I feel. Yeah. That's right. And the art therapist started using art, and the the the, the results All they got were phenomenal. As well, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But these these people were able to express themselves through art, where they couldn't express themselves verbally. No. And and really, that's just common sense. I it mean, is, if you think about it. it. Yeah. But if we bring in um, in uh, the better access system uh, and we give people access, we can't do art therapy. Yeah. Now, that's nonsense because how many people do we see um, who may be illiterate for many, many different reasons um, but can express themselves through art? Yeah. Which lead us, leads us to our next segment, yes. our music therapy Great segment. segment. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about all that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so this segment involves the host and guests choosing songs that they either find therapeutic or songs about therapy. Uh, but first, a little bit about music therapy, yep. <laughs> more positive spin. So it is the clinical use of music to accomplish individualized goals, such as reducing stress and anxiety, improving mood and self-expression. It is an evidence-based therapy, mm. well established in the health community for now. Um, it can the experiences include listening to music, singing, playing instruments, or composing music, and no musical skills or talents are required to participate, and anyone of any age can join in. So Philip has chosen two songs today. The first song is um, I hope I'm saying it right. Kamina Burana Ofortuna is that so, right? Yeah, Ofortuna is, is how most people know it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about this song and why you've chosen it. So, so O Fortuna is is not necessarily a song; it's actually a cantata, um, and it was uh, it was the the words to it were written as a poem back in the 13th century, um, and it's been used a lot, particularly in theatre, uh-huh. because it's very motivational. Yeah. Um, uh, but what I like about it is, um, you know, I actually did some research because uh, it's all in Italian, and I actually uh, looked at. It from the translation and and A Fortuna uh, A Fortuna literally translates to fate. Fate, okay. Um, and I'm a big believer in fate. Now, I and and when I and and to def, and just to give it a definition of fate from my, I don't see fate as being a religious based or anything, and I don't see it necessarily as being preordained. Yeah. Fate is simply what happens to us, mm-hmm. and sometimes we 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 work towards it. It'll happen because of our own actions. Yeah. Sometimes it'll happen because of actions of others. Yeah. Um, or even Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I like about Fortuna is it talks about fate, but from that perspective, because it talks about fate for human beings, but also the gods. Yeah. Because you know, it was written back. It, it was a lot of um, Greek and Roman influence yeah. uh, when it was first written. Yeah. Um, so it, it comes out, you know what, we're not the only ones, you know, mm. also the gods, mm. they're also impacted by fate. Yeah. Yeah. And and as a counsellor, you see it so much and, and you can, when you hear people's stories, you can say, you know what, this, 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 uh, this was inevitable. Yeah. You were work, you've been working up to this for quite a while yeah. and now it's happened. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, it's not, not overly positive or good. Yeah. But, you know, therapy is about that, is how we work people towards the positive and yeah. the constructive. Yeah. Um, but it's getting people to understand that uh, so much of what happens in life is beyond our control. Yeah. Um, and, and if you can't accept that, it's uh, life's not going to be easy. Yeah. No. Um, but it's also accepting that so much of what is under our control mm-hmm. can have such a positive benefit in life, regardless of what resources um, are available to you or the conditions you were born under or, or mm-hmm. lived under. What we do have control of is ourselves, yeah. how we put ourselves forward, how we impact on others, mm-hmm. um, and that's a big one. Um, yeah, the the uh, the influence that we leave others on how they see ourselves. So we have our own fate, 
and there's an external fate. But fate, oh. I honestly believe that the end result is something. Yeah. Uh, and, and I see it as fate yeah. as opposed to being the preordained fate. You know, you were fated to be a leader. Well, yeah. that's rubbish. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, you were fated for your marriage to never last. Well, yeah. that, that is something when you yeah. look at certain couples, yeah, you go, yeah. yeah, that was never going to last yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. because you had put things in place to yeah. make sure it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so sure. you did ordain your own yeah. fate. Yeah. So fate cannot be you know, either one or the other. Mm-hmm. So fate or free will, philosophical question there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on yeah. a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the worst case, you know, you know Hitler said yeah, that the Nazis were, were going to be around for 10,000 years. Well, you know, fate had... Uh, you know, the free world had a lot to say about that. Yeah. Um, had he got that entirely wrong, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, cumulatively we can impact on fate too, not mm. just individually. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Hello, I'm Con. And I'm Stav. And, and we're we Eddie Nucky. You're listening to Radio Karam. Okay, thanks for bringing that in, Philip. Um, so your next song is Sunshine on My Shoulders by John Denver. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about why, why you chose this one. Yeah, that's more of a um, <clears throat> one to do with my, my youngest daughter, actually. Um, mm-hmm. We were um, uh, looking at having a, a naming ceremony. Well, we had a naming ceremony uh, mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were looking at it, you know, when we were looking at the, the templates, most people with the um, naming ceremonies would do a big talk and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just thought... I'd really like to reflect how I felt about my daughter yeah. for the song. Nice. And uh, she was four at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I have four kids, and of course, you don't you don't choose one over the other. But but what I can say about my my youngest daughter is she was absolutely the, the and there's an age difference between them. So she, yeah. But um, she was a the, and it remains to be a lot of my life. Yeah. Uh, sure. And when I read the well, I, I heard the song and I actually read the lyrics of John Denver about the. Mm-hmm. And I just thought this just reflects the joy yeah. um, nice. of having a daughter yeah. and, and what she means to me, the brightness that she brings to my so life. Nice. And it's so yeah. positive. Yeah. The whole song Lovely. is just positive. Yeah. Great. So, so that, that was a... Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so we might just end um, with that song. Um, I, I mean... Um, on behalf of me and Sally, we'd just like to thank you so much for taking the time out of, I'm sure, your busy schedule to join us on the show and to share your, your story and your experiences and your opinions. Um, I hope people have, you know, enjoyed it and, and um, got something got something out of it. You know, we hope clients get something out of sessions. So, um, again, thank you so much for, for coming here. And, um, you know, for, for the listeners, um, you know, listening to these songs, um, the, the live show, you'll be able to hear them. But, you know, just want to remind you that if – you are listening on the podcast um the songs we will we will post on the facebook page where you can find them to to have a listen um any any last words sally no i just wanted to say the same thing thank you so much it's been such an honor to have you as our guest today it's very insightful and quite emotional in parts even for me hearing some of your experiences and i greatly appreciate your journey and sharing your experiences with us Thank you. It's been absolutely my pleasure. My pleasure, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. So we'll end on Sunshine on My Shoulders by John Denver. The world thinks I know what I've been swimming in the maze. Trapped inside it now for days, living in a state of haze. Lost the way, lit the fuse. Is it me? What's the truth? No religion, no excuse. What's the use? Damn, I think I need therapy. This music and sleep won't cut a callus to eat.